In this special episode of HearthCast, we're going to be discussing Christy Golden's war crimes novel in detail. If you don't want to have the story spoiled for you, we invite you to hold on to this episode of HearthCast for a later date. Hello and thanks for joining us on HearthCast, episode number 221 for Patch 5.4. And now, from the excellence in podcast studios, it's time for another episode of HearthCast. This is Freckleface, and I play a goblin hunter. And this is Root. I play a goblin warlock. We are a podcast covering the World of Warcraft universe. In episode 221 of HearthCast, we will be spending the whole episode discussing Chrissy Golden's WoW novel, War Crimes. War Crimes is a novel by Christy Golden, bridging the gap between the events of Siege of Orgrimmar and Warlords of Draenor. It focuses on the trial and sentencing of Garrosh Hellscream, deposed War Chief of the Horde. The trial is presided over by the faction leaders, all of whom are present. Well, let's talk about the plot of the book. What happens here? After Varian stops Thrall from killing Garrosh in the Siege of Orgrimmar, a trial takes place in the Temple of the White Tiger to decide if he should live or die. The Celestials are the juror, Terran Zoo is the judge, while Tarandi Whisperwind serves as the accuser, and Bane Bloodhoof serves as the defender. The bronze dragon Kairos constructs an hourglass called Vision of Time that can summon any scene from the past for everyone in the courtroom to witness, but each side only has an allotted amount of minutes to display. Both sides have to be strategic in their use, as cutting off the scene in a different point can change how it is perceived by the audience. The testimonies in a trial are all past events starting from Cataclysm and leading up to the Siege of Orgrimmar. Some of it is repeated from other books, while other events are things that players would have seen or helped with in quests, scenarios, or raids. Garrosh asks to speak to Anduin privately, and they do so every day after the trial. Gross displays a range of emotions and reactions, always leaving us with wondering where his heart is. Meanwhile, there are two different movements to disrupt the trial. The night elf Veriso Windrunner, who lost her husband Ronan in Theramore, breaks the long silence between her and her sister Sylvanas, the Banshee Queen. They plot together to end Garrosh's life, with Verissa planning to abandon the Alliance and live in Undercity. Sylvanas decides she will make Verissa a banshee as well, but does not share this with her. However, Garrosh is not without supporters, and the Dragon Maul chieftain Zayla joins with Thalen the Songweaver and Shakya and kidnap the goblin Harrowmizer and his zeppelin from the Howling Fjord and recruit pirates to join them. Verissa carries out the plan to poison Garrosh's last meal, but then suddenly realizes she can't leave her sons behind. She finds Anduin and tells him what she did and then flees. Anduin stops Garrosh from eating it and then sends a message to Verissa saying he won't tell anyone what she did. Anduin convinces the guard to leave Garrosh some dignity and remove some of the chains as he heads to the last day of his trial. There, Garrosh is called to plead his case. 
He speaks about how Bane and Anduin both believed he could change. He expresses how he is aware how much damage he has caused and how much blood is on his hands. Then he says, I regret nothing. As he is ranting, Anduin leaves the courtroom and finds Chromie locked up. Raytheon is revealed to have been working with Zayla all along. The dragon Kairos topples over the vision of time, which opens up a rift, and he and Garrosh go through, while others come out of it. What each person faces is a dark version of themselves that they must kill or find a way to accept. Zayla and her crew descend on the temple at the same time, and a battle ensues, but they are defeated and retreat. Gina is wounded and appears dead, but she is revived and seems to be more peaceful. The leaders ask the Celestials what their verdict would have been, and the Celestials say they knew from the beginning they would have given Garrosh life. But the trial was not really for Garrosh, it was for everyone. The epilogue shows Garrosh and Kairos in the Grand and seeing Gromhell scream, holding up Gorhal. So, what did you like and dislike about this book? Good question. Um, as I said earlier on in Twitter, I, I thought it was some of Christy Golden's uh, better writing. Uh, I found that I was very engaged in the book. I f- was very familiar with the characters throughout the entire book, as opposed to some of the other books I've read, which I didn't know the characters. You learned to know the characters in the book, but I didn't know them as well as I knew these characters. I was familiar with my surroundings. And, you know, Freck, we did an episode way back when, when we talked about, or you did a, a, a talk about how when people know the outcome of things, they pay more attention. And we knew the outcome of this. That's true. It was, okay, how, how did we get there? And so there was a bit more of watching something unfold, watching this story unfold in front of us. And to me, I, I that is something I really liked about this book as well as uh, knowing the characters. What about you specifically? What did you like? And then we'll talk about the dislike. What I liked and disliked was the same thing. Oh, okay. Which was the very minimal amount of action in the book versus how much of us retelling what already happened. I mean, pretty much the whole trial, which takes up, you know, a good uh, two thirds of the book is all stuff that she's written about before or that we've seen. So if you have read the books and done all the quests and paid attention, it's a bit repetitive. But at the same time, if somebody is wanting to get into this universe or they're they're wanting to actually get into the lore and not just focus on uh, gear and item level, all this stuff, it is a very good starting point. And even things I had read about before, but it had been kind of fuzzy on, it gave, you know, one or two sentence summary and it went, oh yeah, that's what happened. Okay, so you liked and disliked the same the same thing. Pretty much, yeah. Maybe if I had known going into there, it's like you're watching um, a series, a TV series, and they, there's one show where they kind of start being like, oh, remember that one time I started doing a flashback? Right. And then kind of slowly more into the episode, you realize, you know what? This is consisting of mostly flashbacks. <laughs> right. It's like, it's a filler episode. True. It's good for getting you caught up. It's good for remembering the things that you liked about the show. But if you went into it expecting the story to move forward, you'd be disappointed. And that's kind of what happened with this. Like, really not a whole lot actually happened. You know, other than, you know, stuff that we already knew was going to happen, he was going to escape. But... You know, Jaina dies, but 
then she's not dead and she, you know, resolves her in a conflict. And everybody resolves the inner conflict, but there's no major fatalities. Everything goes back to status quo for the most part, except for Garage escaping. Right. So maybe if I had had that expectation that it was going to be like that, I would have had a different uh, reaction to it. But I was just a little bit disappointed about halfway through and go, wait a minute. I know this already. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why we you know, we talked about the summary. We didn't even get to everything that they showed on the Visions of Time because it, it really was, you know, repeated what we had seen. And there was a little bit of different people reacting to things that they didn't know before. And we'll talk about that a little later. But this is good and bad. Like and dislike the same thing. Sure. For me, what I didn't like um, is probably more personal. It was uh, a little bit of the writing style. Okay. Uh, we've seen uh, Christy Golden uh, go to the... Uh, it happened in her in her Theramore book where the involvement of the audience was... was you were brought into the book. You were brought into the story. You know, they... Uh, you know, we're talking about going in, into uh, Nathermore, and I was there with my friends. You're like, that was me. I was right. I was on that quest. Right. I did that. That was that scenario. That was me. And she's talking about me. And, and there's that involvement, and that was a fantastic feeling. It was it was very magical. And I just feel like she went back to that well a, a little too much in the in this book. Um, and she did it in different ways, which I appreciate. Some of the stuff was general complaints we all had as, as as players, like, hey, why can't I fly? In the very beginning of the book, um, when everybody's being summoned to the court, they're being, you know, driven there. Yeah. And like, why can't we fly? It'd be so much faster to fly. Yeah, they make a point about how they're uncomfortable riding this wagon, but then they stop and smell the cherry blossom trees, <laughs> right. and it affects their mindset, and that's basically what Blizzard's been trying to tell us. They gave us flying. They really don't want us to have flying. Because they want us to feel like we're immersed, right? And they want us to enjoy the experience, yeah. And, the, and so I got that. So it was a little, you know, it was a little bit of that. Yeah. Um, she mentions a lot of quests in here, um, in the visions and in other things that happen in the book. And there's it just there's, you know, the mana bomb, and and then and yeah, the guy who made the mana bomb gave gave the toy out to people. The tasteless. It might have been a little tasteless, but right. I did it anyhow because that was the reaction on the forums, right? So I appreciate that it was a different side of the well she yeah. went to. And the and the goblin who drove the Zeppelin, I mean, th- that's a daily quest. Yes, it is. Over in Howling Ford, and they talked about him going out every single day right. <laughs> with different adventures. Yep. Personally, that was something I did like because I feel like, oh, man, what I did mattered. I'm connected. It is, it's a good tool to use. I just felt the tool was overused. Okay. That, that, that's all. And it may not even have been heard. It might have been... Uh, the people at Blizzard manipulating her in, into doing that, but that that part of the book, I I just didn't enjoy that part. So let me ask you uh, this next question here: Did Kraz manipulate Bane in his usage of the Vision of Time? Now, if you remember, Kraz uh, he assembled this Vision of Time, and you actually help him do this on the Timeless Isle when you collect your Epoch <gasps> <That's> stones, right? <laughs> and you go turn him into this guy. And then he gives you the scene to go test, and you take it into the Siege of Orgrimmar to test it. I didn't even make that connection. I'm sorry. Well, welcome. <laughs> no, that's good. <laughs> that's a little point for you. Okay, great. So he's he's constructing this thing. He's tinkering with it this entire time. Sure. And so he has built this. This is a tool that he has built, and he's brought into the courtroom, and they're going to use in the courtroom. He is 
uh, a bronze dragon. Right. Who is the, the dragon flight who is responsible for time. And in the courtroom, he is the dragon who is assisting with the tool on the defense side. Right. Whereas Tyrande on the accuser side has Chromie helping her. Correct. Right. Now, in the book, there's a, there's a scene where Bane has said, look, um, this is a great tool for, for, for the accuser. Because all they have to do is show everything that right. everything bad that, that the garage did. What am I supposed to do with this? And K-Roz responds with, well, you know, you don't actually have to show, you know, these certain things from that garage did. It could be used to show other things as well. And then the both of them head back off to Thunder Bluff and have a talk about it. So what do you think that little talk was about? Do you think that was K-Roz manipulating pain? You know, that's a curious question because all K-Roz's motivation had to be was just to get it to be used in the courtroom. You know, and trying to convince everybody they could work on both sides. Because, you know, for him, I mean, he's plotting to steal Garrosh away anyways. It doesn't really matter what the outcome of the trial is. Okay. So, other than that, I don't really know what his motivation would be for manipulating him. Okay, so this is where I put my pointy hat on, my little tinfoil hat. Okay. You know, the conspiracy theory a little bit of comes out. I think he did. And I think what he did was convince Bane what to present, how to present, what angles to present. And in the long run, the emotions that are drawn out in the courtroom are so dark. And so, because you end up hating Garage. Yeah. Because they prove every single thing that he is guilty of. This man is guilty beyond any reasonable doubt. And yet. I found myself getting mad. Like, man, this guy's horrible. Oh. Right, right, right. Oh, man, he's just... And so everybody around is like, oh, he's horrible. Well, these... Remember, Pandaria is a very emotional place. That's true. And so my feeling, this is just me, is that K-Roz manipulates Bane into presenting certain scenes using a vision of time to extract emotions from people in order to open up that rift in time to the alternate universe on exactly where to go to build the most dark army possible. But the scenes that were inciting the most emotions were the ones that Tarandi was showing, like like the bombing of Theramore. Like that was like one of the most intense ones. You know, when you see Jaina, you know, crying over her student and you see Ronan sacrifice himself, like that is what really got people upset. And that was not didn't have anything to do with Keras. That was, you know, Tarandi and Chromie. Correct. Um, but that was to be expected. They were going to go that route. There's no right. doubt about it. As it, as if I'm playing defense, I know that my accuser is going to go for the darkest, deepest, nastiest stuff I've ever done. Sure. So I want to try to present, and what was presented, in my opinion, was a very manipulative, uh, cunning, organized thought process, but still very dark. And so you're like, okay, I can see why he did it, but it doesn't justify why he did it. Okay. So it's still a very dark place you, that... that that uh, K-Roz brought us all to. That's just my opinion. That's interesting, yeah. Now, of course, when um, the visions of time were showing events, now all of a sudden you're broadcasting things that would have otherwise been private. You know, people having one-on-one interactions they that they would have never in a million years thought anybody else would see or hear of. Um, so obviously it's going to affect people. 
So how do you see relationships changing from witnessing these events from the vision of time? It brings up some really good uh, breaking points or sprouting points or storylines to me. Uh, the one that really comes into mind, of course, is when Gina uh, and Thrall are shown. And Varian kind of goes, what? You know? She gave aid to the Tauren. Right. Yeah. And so there's these, you know, when that happens, if you realize that this person that you have confided and entrusted in had this thing that they didn't tell you about, even if they felt it was completely justified to do, you're going to be torn. You're going to be hurt. And so even if events happen and you can't cover that up, you know, that doesn't go away. But what it does is it plants a seed for future storylines and a rift and a crack and what what seemed. Now, we, of course, as readers, we know the whole story, right? Right. But if you put yourself in varying shoes, this relationship that he has with Gina, although, yeah, she's, you know, she's been a little reckless at times, you know, <laughs> trying to destroy stuff. You know, that's okay. But he thinks he can trust her. And now he realized, wait a minute, she aided the enemy? She committed treason, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're like, well, this this is a whole nother level right. of trust issues that now have arisen. Um, So yeah, it, it brings up, and it's not just her, it's everybody in the courtroom that, that, that sees those things that pop up. You know, you had no idea some of the things that happened and you see people kind of, and it happens throughout the courtroom, you know, they, they shoot glances at each other and and their their lips purse. They do purse a lot. And they, yeah, they, they purse lips a, lot. a lot. Yeah, it's like there's a whole lot of lip action in the book. <laughs> <laughs> so what about you? What do you think? Yeah, um, one thing I particularly noted was um, when Anduin watched himself being crushed by Garrosh. That seemed to kind of change his opinion. You know, like he was dreading watching it because, you know, as they mentioned, like his bones still hurt even after being healed, and he was told that that would not go away. He was injured so badly. But something about seeing Garrosh do that and not be gloating, not be angry, just be contemplative, well, that that had to happen. I think that kind of swayed Anduin into thinking that he could be saved. Mm. And I think that's why he agreed to go see him. That's an interesting outlook. So you think... Anduin's opinion changed of himself a little bit, too, after seeing what happened to him third person. A little bit. He sees more of that when he faces his alternate self. But I think at that moment when they're showing the bell crush him, though, I think he's really more focused on Garage. Mm, okay. Yeah. Okay. So along the lines of Anduin, do you think he's going to change his outlook after seeing Garage be unrepentive in the face of mercy and light? I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, he he is so optimistic and so believing in the ability to change. And he was so hopeful that Garrosh would. And he just, I think he felt betrayed after that. And I don't think everything is going to be, you know, roses anymore for him. Do you think this is a class change from priest to paladin for Anduin? (laughs) I don't know about that. (laughs) <laughs> it's never been done before uh, except for you know mages to warlocks yeah i don't think he could wear that plate armor though yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean they they could take it either way he could still take it in stride i mean 
they had Alex Strauss on the stand, which they recalled um, events from previous books where they had enslaved her and they were forcing her to breed more dragons so that the orcs could use them as mounts. And they, when she tried not to, they started smashing her eggs in front of her face, which she was devastated. And so she's on the stand and they said, well, how do you feel about the orcs? She said, I love them. Not just I forgive them or I think they could be good if they change. Just just flat out. I love them. Hmm. So it's interesting if they could take that kind of characteristic and apply it to Anduin. Is he going to have that unconditional brotherly love for his fellow, I guess he can't even call his fellow people, but humanoids? <laughs> you know, if he's going to keep that or if he's going to become kind of dark, you know, because that's disappointing, especially at that age. I mean, and he put himself out there with Garrosh. I mean, like he went and he met with him after his. Um, his dad and Jane had told him not to, and he's just so convinced that he could do good. In reality, it didn't seem like he did anything. But at the same time, he kind of had a moment of peace. You know, after he threw Garrosh's food to the floor, and Garrosh pins him, and he um, he grabs his arm, and he threatens to rip it out. And Anduin just thinks to himself, you know what? If he does, it's okay, because I've done what I needed to do. I needed to stop him from eating that poisoned food. And I will face whatever consequences happen next. Right. Well, in essence, he was on a, on a prison ministry. Yeah. And he fulfilled the the prison ministry. He did. You know, and that's when you look at it from the, from the the real world or role play perspective of a priest. He did what a priest would have done. He was requested. He went. You know, and when you get right down to it, that's what a priest, you know, they're there to aid. They're there to help. They're there to bring the light. If they can share the light with somebody, they're going to share the light with somebody. So that's, he was doing his priestly duty. Um, Me, I think he's going to hold out hope. I think no matter what, he is a priest. You know, he wants to be the best priest he can be. He does. Is he going to be challenged? Absolutely. Uh, I think this next storyline that's going to come out uh, in the in the future, in the very near future, is going to be about the growth of Anduin. He is, you know, king apparent. He's going to be maybe the next king. We don't know, you know, what what the future holds. But now we have to look at what path he takes as a priest, as a growing. And that's why I kind of jokingly said, does he become a paladin? You know, does this change him where he now takes up arms because he's jaded or does he stick to his priestly guts, find the good in people, realize that no matter what, good can be found? And I think that that's what's going to happen. I think he sticks to his his priestly guts. Well, we mentioned earlier um, the different characters facing their alternate selves. And we didn't go into too much detail in the plot summary, but it, it was really interesting what everybody faced. Jaina's was very angry, very, very angry. Um, Varisa's was very angry. That's all we really know. Goel, as they refer to him in this book, um, was still a slave. He had never become Goel. You know, as we know, we spoke about a few episodes ago, Goel means redeemer. Right. And, and thrall means slave. 
Yes, and he did break out of slavery and become the redeemer of his people. So in Thrall's dark version of himself, he was still Blackmore's slave. He had just grown up and become this gladiator and never broken out. In Anduin's alternate timeline, he was the king already at that young age because Varian had been killed in a war. His Caligos and Jaina's timelines all kind of connected because Caligos darker self, he was just insane with grief. So he had not been able to stop Jaina when she flooded Ogremar, which started the war afresh, which means a whole bunch of more people died, which made Anduin king before he was really ready. But then you see on the other side, well, Thrall's version, he was still a slave, but then if he was still a slave, there wouldn't have been any Ogamar in the first place right. for her to wipe out. So. It could have been a different city name. Yeah, but possibly not even a horde. I mean, the horde started with the, yeah. the clans. All right, so. We're not going to think too much on we're that. We're going to think too yeah. much of it. Like, they're either connected or not. It was, it was a little bit unclear. But they don't really say what Jane and Varisa did or saw or how they interacted with their alternate selves. But obviously, they had to have fought and defeated or come to terms with their alternate selves. So, what are we speculating happened there? Well... I have a theory. Okay. That the Jaina we have, who died and we revived, is not our Jaina. Oh, really? That's my theory. I think it's the Cray Cray Jaina. Okay. Um, she seems more peaceful. She does? I think yeah. she's that crazy that she seems peaceful. I think that our Jaina is held captive on the other side. I think they got her. and Because here's the thing. Jaina is our Jaina, <laughs> I should say. We view her as this this the the mage, right? The most all powerful. Right. Then how she die? And she's a heroine in our book, in our storyline, and she died and was she revived. died with a dagger to the heart. Okay, so, she's still mortal. Well, I understand that, but I think our Jaina stabbed Cray Cray Jaina <laughs> in the process. Or even one of their people in the madness said, okay, we need our crazy Jaina back over there as a plant, stab crazy Jaina in the heart. They get Jaina thinking this is normal Jaina. They revive her while our Jaina is now captive. You know, oddly enough, there was very little conflict about them distinguishing between the two different selves. Right. You know, usually it's a difference in armor. Right. Or or that. Or... Scars or muscle tone or something. I think your theory is a little bit of a stretch because I don't think anything in this book is really that consequential. I think this book is one of those, it's a flashback episode in your favorite TV series. It's just, <laughs> oh, no, I mean, I kind of make flippant, like, yeah, there's some stuff in there, but not anything more that can be, that we that we haven't already seen in like the trailers and, you know, the previews and things like that. I don't think they'd make something of that crucial because it is pretty crucial. Happen. I mean, nothing else major happened in, in the thing. It was all like personal stuff. Like, it was basically like, oh, Jaina's not crazy anymore. You know, she calmed down. And when she was on the stand, she she 
was she pursed her lips she did <laughs> um she talked about how saying the words and getting the truth out there healed her a bit yes so i don't i think even then before she met her crazy self she she was on the process of of mending and Anduin did the same thing he said when he was on the stand and he talked about um, the stuff he went through. He said he felt in his bones better. So there is a lot in this book about just talking about issues and letting the truth be known about the having almost healing powers. So I don't necessarily think that that was personal. Um what I think Janus saw was basically her being alone, you know, having nobody, because she would have driven off, you know, dragon boyfriend, Caligos. She would have driven off everybody. She would have got everybody killed, you know, good amount of them, or it alienated them. And then Verisa, you can all you can pretty much tell from the book like what her alternate reality was. I mean, she was planning on abandoning her sons because she felt like she wasn't a good mother to them. And Sylvanas had this thing that her people weren't going to follow a living being, right? So she was going to kill her and make her a banshee. That is correct. That would have been, I don't know, to have like two Windrunner sisters, like leading the undead. That would have been a completely different dynamic. Well. Yeah, I mean, that's, um, it was interesting with two sisters having, you know, kind of the same idea, but not quite the same idea. Yeah. Way, different way of carrying it out. Yeah. Like, hey, Frank, um, I want you to co-host this podcast with me. Is that cool? Sure. I'm going to kill you, though, okay? <laughs> you know, because, <laughs> you know, whatever, I mean, you know, not tell you the whole plan. I, I just, that was weird to me. It is weird, and you kind of get into the whole, like, what's it like to be Sylvanas? You know, she's very cold, you know, doesn't feel emotions, but she does feel things like hunger. And when she started to feel love toward her sister it again, hurt it her. hurt her. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So at the same time, if they were together, they would be, you know, loving each other. But would that love make it impossible for them to coexist? Mm. You know, could they even be sisters if they're both undead? Whew. So... I mean, I don't know what Varisa saw, but it was a pretty scary path. I mean, you're thinking about going off and living in the Undercity and your night elf. Yeah, that's kind of extreme. Like, she had some extreme hate and hurt over the death of her husband. Yes. You know. Obviously, like, Anduin forgiving her because he, I mean, again, that's that's treason. You know, she violates Pandoran law. She's a ranger general. She's not royalty or anything like that. She gets kicked out of a conversation at one point in the book. So... Her life was basically at stake as well. And he just forgave her. Mm-hmm. Speaking more of Anduin, who does play quite a prominent role in this book, he and Raytheon have an interesting relationship that has continued uh, in this book. It started with them, uh, for, as, as far as the purpose of this book is concerned, um, with their conversations... In Pandaria, when you start on the quest line uh, for the Dark Prince on your legendary cloak quest line. And you meet Raytheon. He's having conversations with Anduin. So throughout this entire process, they're having this conversation, the entire quest line in uh, Mr. Pandaria. 
in the book, they continue to have these conversations, these sidebars, if you will, that happen throughout the entire story. Then towards the end, Raytheon kind of reveals his true plan and what he's doing. How do you think that's going to affect the relationship between Anduin and Raytheon? Well, it's clear that Anduin was betrayed. He felt betrayed by Raytheon. And Raytheon was trying to express to him his affection toward him. When he took out the guards from Garash's cell, you know, he didn't kill them. He hit them on the head. They passed out, but they woke up again. And Raytheon says to Anduin, he's like, look, I didn't kill them. I only left them with a headache and I care for them much less than I care for you. Hmm. I think that's genuine affection. I think if he had just been using them the whole time, that would have been the moment where you've been like, ha ha, you were just my pawn. And then left. But he didn't do that. He said, Anduin, you told me to do what I thought was best for Azeroth. And this is what I think is best. Now, what is Garrosh planning to do? He's going back, we know, to uncorrupted Draenor. Before the orcs drank the blood, before they became warlocks, before they became enslaved. He's stopping all of that in this alternate universe. Think of how much Azeroth suffered because of that corruption. I mean, it's possible that in Raytheon's mind, he is saving Azeroth from that by allowing this to happen. Interesting. So I think it's possible that at one point they could be friends again. Although they, they're they so different. I mean, Raytheon does seem to be very calculating. And Anduin's not. Anduin is all emotional. I have three words. Okay. It's just business. That's, in my opinion, how Raytheon sees this whole, whole thing. The all of Azeroth. It's just business. Hmm. He's the last of the black dragonflight. That's it. He's the last one, and he's a kid. Yeah. For him, he's got a lot of a lot of uh, protecting on his shoulders here. It's just business. He watches this whole thing unfold. He has us as characters, Raytheon does, do some pretty crazy stuff. It's true. To get you know a nice legendary cloak that helps us. Jump across a, a bridge and kill a dude every week. Um, and do some other cool stuff. But he's very nonchalant. He is calculating, but he's very nonchalant. Like, this whole Azeroth is this stage for him. Yeah, he's distant. Right. And he's just like, this whole thing, it plays out. It doesn't really concern me. And I can kind of manipulate people and things the way I want to. And look at this prince. He's young. He's naive. He's trusting. There's a lot of manipulation. They, they they see things completely different. And for me, I watch Raytheon, their relationship, both parts, builds on each other's outlook on life. Both is completely different. And they don't understand each other's viewpoints, but they try to learn from each other. Right. So with that in mind, I do think they remain... I don't, I don't know if the word is friends or not, but it, it kind of is. 
it's not even acquaintances. It's it's and I hate you know, don't read into this at all, please. But it's more like soulmates. They understand each other. They don't agree with each other, but they learn from each other and they almost need each other. But please don't read any more into that than no. that. <laughs> no, the reason why they need each other because they are the only two teenagers That's right. in the entire Azeroth. <laughs> Everyone else is either an adult or a little kid. <laughs> and then you got Anduin, who's 14, and then you got Raytheon, who's two, but he's... I don't know, maybe you can do dragon ears and the same as dog ears, so he's about <laughs> 14. <laughs> is everybody else is a little Timmy running around chasing cats. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, but you get what I'm saying, right? That I think when it's all said and done, there's going to be another more of these conversations happening where Anduin tries to understand and Raytheon is like, it's so obvious that Raytheon can't even explain it to him. And he doesn't understand why he can understand that whole that whole thing. It's just it's it's bizarre to me. Um, so yeah, I just I think they'll still be mates. We'll just leave it as mates. Mates. All right. No, don't read any more into that either. <laughs> <laughs> so this whole trial, and we basically relived. We lived it once in the whole Mister Pandaria thing, and now we're reliving it again in the trial. Um, we see just, you know, how horrible Garrosh is, all the terrible things he's done. But do you think there is any redeeming qualities about him? The man is driven to get what he wants. He is. In his mind, regardless if it's corrupted or not or whatever, he knows what he wants. And he will stop at nothing to achieve that. He has a vision of the Horde. He needs to make that vision a reality. He will stop at nothing to make that vision a reality. In uh, our world, there are a lot of big CEOs who are paid big bucks and have that same quality. <laughs> That's true. So <laughs> they stop at nothing to get the job done. And that is that is the, if I were to call it a redeeming quality in Garage, that would be the one I would pick. Yes. I mean, despite the fact that he does not feel remorse for killing innocents, he also does not seem to relish it either. It's part of the job. It's it's doing what it needs to be done. But he's not out there um, torturing people and putting people through pain for no reason. I mean, there is a motivation behind doing anything that he does. Right. Not that I'm agreeing with it or condoning it, but it is what it is. And he has never lied about his ambition or what he wanted. No, he's been pretty brutally honest. Yeah, pretty straightforward. You know, he might have been a little conniving from time to time and maybe did a little, you know, talking behind some people's backs to get something done. Like, you know, someone's throat slit. Yeah. He's conniving, not necessarily dishonest. And his main goal, it's power, but not power for himself. It's power for his people. So he is willing to have blood on his hands for the sake of his people. He's basically putting um, the group's needs above his own. I mean, he feels like that is what the orcs need, is to go back to the real horde, as he puts it. I mean, he could have been a war chief and not caused any stirs. He would have had a much easier reign. I'm sure it's like... 
a pretty cushy job otherwise if you're not trying to, you know, start a revolution. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of think when Thrall had the conversation with Garage, he explained to Garage all about Grom, who he was, what he did, how he saved the people, what he did for the Horde. You know, his... Garage's entire vision and understanding and, and therefore relationship with his father changed. We talked about that in depth. But I think at the same time, that starts a chain of events of let's get back to the root of the horde. And that becomes some really, really, really big shoes to fill. And when you have that vision and you are driven to see that vision come to fruition, you stop at nothing to make it happen. And uh, he didn't. He stopped at absolutely nothing and is continuing to stop at nothing to make his vision happen. True. Okay, so we agree that he has some redeeming qualities. Uh, You know, neither of us think that he is, you know, the epitome of evil or anything like that. Um, but do you agree with the Celestial's decision um, not just to grant him life, but that they had decided that before the trial even commenced? The Celestials told us and everybody in the book that the trial wasn't just for Garage. It was for everybody. What Garage did w- w- was, you know, he wrecked the place. He did. I mean, he came in, that place, Veil of Eternal Blossoms was beautiful. <laughs> <You know? laughs> he, he trashed it. He destroyed it. And he he killed, he destroyed, you know, a civilization, practically wrecked the entire place, right? That's like you're having a beautiful party at your house, and someone just comes in and just wrecks the place. And now everybody's, and, and, and so do I agree with their decision what I agree with is how they let the mortals carry out the process. Right. Do I uh, do I agree with their decision, though? You know, in a way, the answer is no, because I find them to be very smug. Mm-hmm. Like, we did this because you needed to see this. No, we didn't. You know? <laughs> um, there's a scene at the end of the of, of the book where where when the, when the Celestials are telling everything, and you you have everybody there who have been at each other's throats the entire time. And if it hadn't been for the anti magic bubble put around the whole place, then they would have been killing each other. Right. You know, if it hadn't been for the Pandaren guards, there would have been fights all the time. Anytime something got out of control, man, them guards stood up and, you know, it got tense and everything calmed down because people knew, okay, can't use magic. We don't have weapons and these Pandarans know how to fight. That's what kept the peace. When Garrosh jumps through this big hole in time and everybody's like, okay, well, now Garrosh is gone. And they kind of go, what were you guys going to do? Well, he was going to live anyhow because this wasn't about him. This was about you guys. The scene then is everybody just there standing. Side by side. Within, you know, shoulders distance from each other. They could have slapped each other if they wanted to. Sure. 
but they didn't. They didn't slap each other. Because there's there's a moment there where you kind of go, this whole thing just got bigger than us. The question I kind of pose in there is, did the Celestials know that was going to happen? Did they know Garage was going to jump back in time? Yeah, I see what you're saying. You know, but oddly enough, like every single event since the start of World of Warcraft has its moment where the Horde and Alliance have to go, this is bigger than you and me. I mean, it... They had to put aside their differences to to work and defeat Illidan. They had to put aside their differences to defeat the Lich King. Put aside their differences to defeat Deathwing. You know, it's it's like, yeah, they have a conflict, but anytime something major happens in the storyline, they kind of have to forget about it and work together anyways. But what was different about this enemy this time around was that it was part of the Horde. So when you're first starting out, now you have like Garrosh and he's being all... Uh, brutal, and he's you know, destroying Theramon. It's it's just it's like where's the blame? It's like all the stuff that Garrosh is doing. It's the alliance going. Oh, those horde, the horde bomb Theramor. You know the horde. You know raised um, all this stuff. So I think what the trial did do was get rid of that faction difference in the events that happened in Mist and Pindari, and kind of pin it all in one person. But again, I don't know how they could have known that they would turn out that way. Because like you said, they, it, it was so tense. The whole courtroom. It was all, you know, we it was people fighting with each other. So I don't know how they could have known that it would turn out well. And as far as their decision to grant him life instead of death, it's hard to comment on that because in our world that is such a divisive topic, death penalty. But in Azeroth, I mean... Someone act them up, you you just go kill them. You take their heads. I mean, look, there, there's too many kobolds around. Go take their candle um, <laughs> off their dead bodies. You see what I'm saying? There is no other instances in the world where they're sitting there and having a trial and letting somebody just have life in prison. And it's not like he showed any promise of changing. You know, I might have maybe understood it if he had shown remorse and showed that he wanted to change, but they're letting him go after he completely expressed that he wants to do more. It's like, how are they planning on keeping him in prison where he couldn't do any more damage? That, you know, we never got to that part in the book um, because it was never addressed, but I kind of think if that uh, cell had kept him for a couple days... It probably would have kept him for life. Sure. Um, so I think that the Celestial's magic could have imprisoned him. So we'll leave that as it were. Okay. Um, but I would say this. In the very start of the book, the, the whole reason that we even have the visions of time in you know brought into this whole thing is because they don't want to turn Garage into a martyr. They say that right up front. For the... Yeah, for, the for his sympathizers. Right. For yeah, for the horde. This guy dies trying to create the perfect horde, and now they put him to death. That, he he martyred him immediately. So you can, even though we knew based on the book and based on on what's happening in the next expansion, based on even though we knew he was going to you know not uh, have have be put to death. Well. Let me say this. We didn't know that. We knew he was going... To, we didn't know the verdict of the trial. We knew he That's escaped true. death. Yes. Um, we knew eventually it didn't really matter. Right. 
there was to me no question after that first sentence saying we don't want him to be a martyr that he would be end up with life you know so <laughs> there's a pretty now famous line from uh from Batman Dark Knight and Harvey Dent said it not to cross genre too much here <laughs> says, you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Oh. All right. So, Garrosh's point of view. He is a hero to the Horde at this point, right? Okay. If he is given life, what what does it say that the as roll as time rolls on, that people don't see, you know, what he was doing really, really wasn't so good. Yeah. Maybe we don't like him as much as we did like him. So if they were to have... And he would see that. He would see that the populace turn against it, this vision that he had and see him for the madman that he was and it would just be... It would be it would be the worst thing that could possibly happen to him. So in my opinion, he was never going to get the death sentence. It was always going to be life. It's just a matter of how he escapes prison. Oh. That was my whole thing. How does he get out? Where does that happen? I guess what I didn't like about it is not so much that the verdict was life. It was that they said they knew it was going to be that going into it. Right. It's like, where, even in Pandaria, like, what was the, the shadow pan about? You know, they killed. They didn't just kind of, like, knock out and throw people in prison. You know, there's, especially in Azeroth, there's, there's a time and a place for it. Yes. You know? You know, the Mantid sent their young ones, like, over the wall. Every few years. Well, they had to. They had to. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I understand your point. It's it's just like there's so much of like life and death in this in the in the world here that they the World of Warcraft like values both. So just have like undiscriminate like it doesn't matter what they do. We're gonna let them live. Ugh. It's a tough one. That's a tough one. I know. So let me ask you this. Okay. After reading this novel, War Crimes by Christy Golden, any kind of life lessons that you personally drew from the book? Um, if you go too crazy, your dragon boyfriend will break up with you. Oof. Right, that's deep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, she was almost in on that plot with uh, Varisa and everything. And then the dragon boyfriend was like, look... You don't stop acting crazy, then psh, you're not getting any more of this. <laughs> We're through. <laughs> she straightened up. All right. And all of a sudden, that's and they talked about that. Sylvanas, so I was upset. Like, what happened to Jane? I thought she's on our side. Well, <laughs> you're looking for something deep in that, weren't you? I kind of maybe, but you know, no, it's good. It's good stuff. Well, you know, I I did think it was a good theme, and I I mentioned this earlier how. When they put everything out in the open, all the stuff that was painful for people to talk about, they did feel a physical relief at having the truth come out. Right. You know? Yes. No, I, no, I, I totally get that because there are times when I worry, you know, and I, I will take things on my shoulders and I it, it will actually make me ill. Oh. Right. And, and you know... You get upset stomachs, you don't yeah, sleep well, don't. you know, you, you get moody. And, and then when you just, when you have that talk with that person, it just, you get everything aired out. Right. And everything is cool. 
and then everything is just you're like oh, wow it's just the weights lifted off your shoulder so that was in there and I kind of I could feel that that I could relate to that emotion that those people were having I could actually it was like oh, this is good yeah yeah but yeah that 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 part was better than the boyfriend part I okay. gave you well that. they're they're both equally important if you ever date a dragon <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the things that that resonated with me is uh not only to you know know yourself not only to know your enemies but more importantly really know your friends oh because there was some stuff that came out as we said before that people were like what <laughs> yeah you know and uh and there were some revelations that were made as you mentioned with uh, Alex Straza that you know people are like whoa that's that was amazing that she still had love for all life you know regardless of anything else that happened right and so that's something where you really need to know the people that you surround yourself with whether it be your friends your family your co-workers get to know them plus dragon boyfriends <laughs> you know this novel did leave me with some unanswered questions okay okay vision of time how could you live in a world where any moment at any time could be broadcasted and public? And mind you, these people who were doing these things at the time, like, you know, when Garrosh was crashing the bell, when people were having these private conversations, that thing had not been invented yet. Right. Which means they were oblivious to the fact that they had been living their whole life, possibly under scrutiny. Yeah. It'd be like... Like the Truman Show. Be like all of a sudden finding out everything that you have ever done ever could potentially be up on there. It'd be like Truman Show Big Brother combined. I mean, do you think when they first introduced that, like we're going to show events from the past, like how many people do you think just like broke out and sweat and thought of that? Oh, tre- I- <laughs> tremendous amount of people. I think everybody like has like some moment that they would just yeah I'm really glad nobody saw that and all of a sudden it's like up there that's like your nightmare there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, we can we actually know how how that works in WoW because our confession segment didn't do so well. <laughs> I know because <laughs> people were afraid of the judgment that was going to be passed down against them, and that was just themselves telling on themselves. But could you imagine, like, just imagine, Freck, if you're sitting at home one day, right, and you get this email from Blizzard, and it's a video clip of your tune running around puking on people (laughs) (laughs) with a little thing that says, care to explain? Awkward. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yeah. You know, you're like, well, just having some fun, you know. (laughs) You know. Because that that is, in effect, what they did. Yeah. Here's a video. Yeah. Let's talk about that. And if all of a sudden you saw yourself up on a screen in front of a whole courtroom... I mean, I know Andrew was like looking at himself and go like, "Wow, I look young," but like, like how many people be like, "Oh, I look so fat there." <laughs> how many times you see a picture of yourself, you're like, "Oh, that's how I look in that shirt." <laughs> right. 
going jump over another movie real quick. Okay. In in Harry Potter. Uh-huh. Uh, when Hermione saw herself from behind in uh, Deathly Hollows. Oh, and the, with the she's like, "That's what my hair looks like from behind." Oh. <laughs> that, that was her concern, you know. know? <laughs> like, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you've never like seen yourself walk because, like, when you see yourself like you're yeah. in front of a mirror, like that yeah. would just be weird in and of itself. Yeah, I'm like, what's what's up with Sasquatch? Oh, that's me. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so yeah, flippantly, I think it'd be awkward for people to see themselves on the screen, like. But like, seriously, even just living in a world where like that magic is plausible, that's just terrifying. It is absolutely it terrifying. Is. Um, yeah. you know, sometimes they have that. If you want to take the real world connotation of that, sure, it's all these cameras we have all over the place. The next time you go down a major highway, it doesn't have to be a major highway, but I will say major highway right now, like an interstate in your area. Look at the stop the the street lights, and I would reckon to say about every fourth one has a camera on it. The, the their DOT cameras, Department of Transportation, the road cameras, the intersection cameras. There are cameras everywhere. We live in a surveillance driven world. You know, and I I get that, but that's what it, what's in public. I think it was like a just a, a legislation that just passed down that it is your First Amendment right to film police officers. Yes. Because they were arresting people for filming them. Right. Yeah, I pretty much understand. Like, you go in a store, they're going to have cameras, whether you see them or not. And with people walk around, like, they look like they're, like, texting their phone that could be easily have the camera function out. Mm-hmm. You know? It's when you take that and apply that to anything, anywhere, like, when you think about yourself, no, everybody could see what you're doing at some point in time. I don't know. It's just... It's just scary to me, you know. It is. And in some ways and I, I don't want to get too 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 off into this, but a lot of times, you know, you have to conduct yourself as if you are under surveillance at all times. So you never pick your nose and you're alone in your room? I wouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing, in the book, those are like you you're in a cave, right? Yeah. <laughs> you're like, "Okay, when he gets alone, cut his throat. Right. That was like a total private conversation. Right. And now, boom, there it is. There it is. So now look at the like the FBI surveillance stuff for the mob, okay? <laughs> and they're out walking around. They're like, okay, man. Because it's the Cuban mob, apparently. Uh-huh. <laughs> when he alone, I want you to cut his throat. Boom. There it is again. They have that footage. And they're right, like, we right, were, right. But we were alone, man. You, you know? <laughs> so, nope. You're never alone. That's true. There, there are often times where you think you're alone, or you think no one can hear you, and it turns out they did hear you or something like that. Yeah. But still, I mean, the extent that they used it that, was that like was the thing. that it's, they could access any moment, right. any point in time, from any angle. And complete clarity. And how do they sift through all that information? That's like an infinite amount of information. Everything that ever happened, everywhere, ever. <laughs> Motorcycles. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Like you said, he'd been tinkering with that. So he had been tinkering. He had been tinkering. So that's a lot of power for one person it to is. have. I yeah. mean, I know he ended up it's using it to open a, a portal. It's broken, but like a vision of time, you can see anything anywhere. I mean, and you're the bad guy. Yeah, there's a lot of different advantages he could have went with yeah. that. You get all broken. your opponent's plans. Yeah, and passwords. Yeah, and exactly. Secret hiding spots mm-hmm. where they hide the gold and. 
yeah, whatnot. That's what I've had. All right, so another question I have uh, goes back to another book here. You got Horde and Alliance standing side by side. Garage is gone. Like you said, this thing has now become bigger than both of them. If, you know, now they don't know what Garage is doing. They just know he's gone. The book ends with Thrall saying, or that part of the book ends with Thrall saying, we're going to find him. Or Goel, I guess we're calling him now. We will find Garage. We will find Garage. We. That's the word I'm focusing on. Right. Who's we? Are, are they now saying Horde and Alliance are going to join forces to continue this and go find Garage? And we know that Garage does not play a significant role in this expansion. Well, he's not the end boss, at least. Right. Yeah. So, are we going to finally get Garage and take him down, or what's happening? We don't know. I don't know. But is... Is this the time that we finally see the Horde and Alliance unite for real? Not just to fight a panda bear on an island for the first you know, 30 seconds of a, of a cinematic? <laughs> yeah. Is this it? Yeah. Are we going to see cross-faction rating? See, I still don't think they will ever get rid of Horde versus Alliance in the game. Just for gameplay's sake. That is the one thing that World of Warcraft has going for itself that is unique versus all other MMOs except for Star Wars and now that I'm saying it I'm sure it's not unique but it is <laughs> a defining characteristic of the series is Horde versus Alliance but you know in this this book was all like you know resolving emotions and it's really hard to pinpoint what the differences are between the two factions now at the time that Jaina was helping at the Torrent you know Varian was challenging her and said you know, how dare you? And she's basically like, oh, they're fine. It'll all be good. We were in peace. And he said, there is always someone doing something Yeah. in this conflict. And yes. that's true. And it's true. But, like, is there really a fundamental difference between the two factions anymore? It'd be one thing if, you know, Garrosh did persuade most of the members of the Horde on his side. That would have exasperated the war. But instead, they're united against Garrosh and even um, Jaina, who was so anti-Horde because of Garrosh that she was ready to flood Ogremar. She said, Garrosh is not the Horde. Yep. You know? And she believes them to be honorable. I mean, like, Varian and Thrall are sitting there, you know, chatting away, just kind of like chilling at the back of the temple. I mean, and I know that Thrall has since left the, the Horde and he's part of the Earthen Ring. But, it used to, I mean, Thrall was the leader of the Horde and Varian is the leader of the Alliance. I mean, they used to butt heads all the time. And now they're just, like, chilling like buddies. There can't be that much of a difference between them anymore. I agree with you. I do not see them, you know, getting rid of the faction differences at the gameplay level. Yeah. I do see possibly, in a way, not a, not really a truce, but a cooperative like, we will attack the left flank. Right. You guys attack the right flank, you know, to the victor go the spoils. Sure. Don't cross paths. You know, don't cross the streams. Look, I'm I'm just all over the movie genre. <laughs> um, we'll do our thing. You guys do your thing. We're working on this common goal. Yeah. We're going to do it our way. You guys do it your way. If we share information back and forth. That's fine and good, but don't expect right. anything from us because we're not expecting anything from you guys. 
And if we do see you out in our way, we will kill you. So <laughs> that's how I see it. Yeah, they're going to work for Common Goal. They have to 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 save Azeroth in their own livelihood. Right. So they are working towards a Common Goal, but they're not going to work together. They will work in parallel, but it's not going to be together. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we already know that in, in the expansion coming up, there's world PvP and there's PV, PvP zones. We know that you know, there's not going to be all, you know. Puppies and kittens. Yeah. We know it's still going to be World of Warcraft. We know PvP is getting a big revamp. So all that, we know yeah. that's not going to wait. So, you know, gameplay aside, you know, lore-wise, I think what's going to happen is it's the whole thing. Yes, we have to do this. We're going to do it our way. You guys do it your way. Don't mess with us. We won't mess with you. And we just, we'll get out of here in one piece. Yeah. And we'll see what happens next. Or they'll just invent some fresh new conflict that starts it all up again. Because that seems to be what happens. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, and the other thing is they didn't even address at the end of this, like, what happens to Dalaran. Because this takes place after Tides of War. This takes place after everything we've done so far in the game. And in the course of Mr. Pandaria, you helped Jaina throw the Horde out of Dalaran. Correct. That is a big political move, for one thing. And it was, like, never addressed. And they never said, is Dalaran going to be Alliance-only city now? No, because you can still go there as Horde. You can, but you got to remember, that hasn't happened yet. Yeah, Just true. went through it, you know. Because <laughs> you go back in time. Yeah, it's crazy. crazy. Well, yeah, you're kind of like... Anyways, it's it's kind of like how motorcycle. <laughs> you defeat the Lich King, Lich King's still there. Right, right, you know? right, right, right. I don't know, that kind of bugged me. A lot of unanswered questions. Yeah. Um, those are just, if you guys have un- unanswered questions, let us know. Uh, and there's one fantastic question we've got for you guys. If your tune, the collective of your tunes, so any of your alts that you happen to play, if you were suddenly brought up on trial in Mr. Pandaria in the Celestial Temple and a vision of time was brought out, what moment would you not want to be shown? Let us know. It has set up an email. Send us a speak pipe. Send us a tweet. We'll share the best responses in the next episode. Folks, if you have not picked up Christy Golden's War Crimes, we uh, highly recommend that you do so. Head on over to Amazon, and uh, you can just type in War Crimes. It comes up right there. You can get it on your Kindle. You can get the hardback. Uh, softback will be coming out here pretty soon. Softback, I guess they call it. What I call it? Uh, paperback. Call paperback. Yeah. <laughs> not a softback. That's like a turtle. Um, it's fantastic. It's a good read. It is, as Freckleface said, if you have played Mr. Pandaria, it is a very, very easy read. It is a great jumping on point. Uh, for any of the Warcraft novels. If you've got a friend or co-worker that plays WoW and has never read any of the novels, this is a fantastic starting point for them. The book will take an average reader about a week to week and a half to get through. It's an easy read, it's a compelling story, and it's a great starting point. If you have any feedback about our discussion questions or have any more conspiracy theories like Root does about uh, Jaina being switched over, just let us know. Send us an email at contribute at hearthcast.com. And as we close the show, I want to thank you for listening. You can be part of next week's show by sending us your questions, comments, or any other feedback. Send an email to podcast at hearthcast.com. 
You can tweet me at HearthCastFreck or Root at HearthCastRoot. You can like our Facebook page or even send us a voice message on HearthCast.com using SpeakPipe. No registration or installation required. A big thank you to our friends over to OpenRead for everything they do. You can find HearthCast on iTunes, Stitcher, or just drop our RSS feed into your favorite podcasting app. Until next time, this has been Root and Freckleface for HearthCast.com. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah.